Hello, meat friends. Welcome to the Golden Coast Meat Podcast. I'm your host, Brando Tice, and today we sit down with Frank to talk about the 6S tasting method that we use here at Golden Coast to taste our meats. We start off with a little bit of history of the 6S method and what its intended use is for. Then we dive into each S by tasting a new Golden Coast mead that we are releasing locally here in Southern California. Now let's get into it. Hey everyone! Here at Golden Coast Mead, we consider drinking alcohol not only a luxury, but a celebration of life. If you partake in this celebration, we advocate for drinking regenerative mead made from real honey to help shift the $1.5 trillion alcohol industry in a better direction. When you drink our regenerative mead, you are helping to make the earth healthier, more biodiverse, and abundant. Drop monoculture-based booze and drink regenerative mead. Visit our website, www.goldencoastmead.com to learn more about our regenerative mead business and be a part of the celebration. Cheers. You're going to be making noise the whole time, Brandon? I'm going to try not to. I could move. We'll just let the audience know that in the background, our production man is doing his job. So you might hear some label sheets getting moved around and some bottles getting and some, labeled. And, and some uh, like laughing. and Snickering. Yeah, like, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Think of... Brando as your conscious mind, and Brandon as your unconscious mind. <laughs> and Frank as... The devil, the devil on your shoulder. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, you know, I, I like to think of myself as your bee. Like, if you had a bee sitting on your shoulder. Okay, that's or, fair. Yeah. I can see that. Okay. <laughs> or if the rainbows could talk to you. Rainbows. <laughs> My friend this weekend, he was like, you're on the rainbow planet. I mean, think about it. There's rainbows everywhere around here. The water that you drink, if you shine light through it, it becomes a rainbow. So you're drinking rainbow juice. I was like, oh my gosh, this guy talks like I do. No wonder our friends. Rainbow juice, I haven't heard that one before. Oh, oh meat, is, meat is rainbow juice, man. That's it's true. sunlight you can drink. <laughs> All right, so today, we want to talk about the 6S tasting method, where it comes from, a little bit of history on it, uh, what it is, and give you guys a little example of it with our new, what's, what meat are we drinking? We are drinking Miniola Sunshine Rain, or basically a semi-sweet uh, wildflower, organic wildflower honey, traditional with miniola which is like a tangerine that grows here in southern california with a really great um lemony flavor profile uh the juice was added post secondary all right so that's what we'll be doing the 6s method with a little bit later on but why don't you give us a little history on what the 6s tasting method is Cool. So success tasting method is designed and shared to take folks who are like, okay, this whole sitting around and like nerding out over how something tastes. I don't know if I can really do that. And it's like, well, if you can remember the six S's, then you can sit around and nerd out over how something tastes. But hopefully that's to unlock layers and layers of enjoyment that have previously been occluded by, um, our lack of awareness of our incredible body's capacity to sense things and enjoy things. So with the success method, we're going to basically work through all of the senses and how to engage with the mead 
so that we can really deeply enjoy it. Uh, and all you have to remember is that the six S's means sight, sniff, sip, swish, swallow, and savor. Some people add two more S's, making it eight S's, which is the last two are smile and share. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that part's pretty easy. Uh, you know, some people aren't so good at those two parts, but we're, we're working on it. <laughs> if we can get them through the first six S's, maybe they'll be better at the last two. Hey, 2022, it's a lot easier to do that. Uh, yeah, we're lucky. Um, there are some folks are still having a hard time you know <laughs> that's true and then and they have deep meme traditions in those parts of the world um so i'm hopeful that the 6s method will turn into the 8s method and bring the world together okay that's fair <laughs> did you create the 6s method all on your own yes yes, yes i did um yeah, so we were teaching classes at UC Davis, and I'd, I'd get invited to all different kinds of presentations about mead, whether it was like a wine uh, making group or home brewing group or um, beekeeping groups. People were like, whoa, mead's a lot. There's a lot going on here. And I was like, okay, well, it ultimately comes down to what do you experience and do you like it? And people are like, it's a lot. <laughs> you know? um, it's like being a kid and drinking coffee the first time. It's yeah. like, oh, what is going on here? Or, you know, dark chocolate, like these wonderful things that are super complex and multi-layered. But like when you're little and you try them, you're like, oh, this is so much. I, I don't know if I like it or not. So we broke it down into six uh, unique elements of the tasting experience. And, and they're stacked in a way that you slowly acclimate your body to get ready to put the substance inside your body, which is a pretty big deal. This body will be, or rather this substance will become a part of your body. So when you drink this, um, you start by looking at it, then you go to sniffing it, then you go to sipping it. And all of those things prepare you for the next step, which is swishing and then swallowing, which is like a deep evolutionary protection mechanism. Our body has a mechanism in its brain that says, this drink could kill you. And it's scanning this drink until you finally decide to swallow it, right? That's the reflex that makes you spit something out when it's just like, ah, like battery acid, right? If someone served you battery acid and you put it in your mouth, you'd go, that would kill me. I'm not gonna drink that. Has someone served you battery acid? I mean, I've had a mead that tasted like battery acid oh, smells okay. and like, it was so atrocious that I, that, that, mechanism happened okay. and like thank god that it did but then when ken Schramm explained that that's like a known neurological function and we evolved it so that we rejected things that would kill us um i got it like that made sense and then when you swallow apparently you decide that this thing's not going to kill you and so whole whole layers of sensory perception are available to you now because that spit out mechanism is off so that's the swallow piece. You're going to get more information there. And then savor is like bringing your attention to how you feel after you've drunk this beverage, which I think is a key thing that a lot of people overlook for a, a large portion of their drinking experience. And if they start to tune into that, then they can start to almost make healthier uh, decisions in their drinking. Because if your body feels good after you drink something, it's okay to have more of it. If your body starts to feel bad, should probably stop having it. But a lot of people just focus on the flavor up front, not the overall effect. So yes, I invented this 
and I'm very passionate about talking about it. That's awesome. No, I know. (laughs) (laughs) So, so you invented it. It's a full scope method on how to savor mead. Yeah. And you would include, you can do other beverages with it too, right? Yeah. 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 But we call it the six S method of mead appreciation. Okay. PM golden coast mead. (laughs) Fair. Fair enough. No, uh, I mean, We've seen some other people use it on like Instagram and stuff. And, you know, that's that's the thing about being a creator in these days. You want that attribution, right, man? No, you want people to be empowered and you want people to acknowledge when they're uh, using someone else's work. So hopefully I do that. If I don't call me out on it, um, because I I want to model that when we reference each other, we help each other. And we help build an alternative culture that can hopefully get us to the future we want to see, which is regenerative and joyful and empowers everybody. So let's start tasting. Great. We're going to open this bottle. bottle. So Mineola Sunshine Rain, a hyper local product for the made people. Perfect. Cheers, brother. Cheers. Three ounces is a good start. Yeah. All right. So three ounces is a good tasting pour. It's enough to uh, enjoy, but not too much to get inebriated. Hopefully, we're dealing with a 12% ABV mead here. So three ounces is a half of a serving of alcohol. Um, and we like to say uh, two drinks, one to two drinks. That's not bad. Three drinks, unless you're at a party, you might want to reevaluate your ex- relationship with alcohol. Uh, <laughs> So, and then what else? Uh, if you are having three drinks, you definitely need to coordinate your, your transportation. Fair enough. Okay, so the first S is... Or not transport yourself. Just stay where you're at. Stay where you're at. Yeah. So okay. Sight. Sight, yeah. All right. What are we looking for in sight? Okay, so sight, you're just... You're, you're talking about what you see because your body is going to start referencing all the other things you've seen that look like this, right? So when I hold this up to the light... I see what color, Brando? It's like yellow, golden. Yeah, a little hazy. What do you think there, YouTube land? If you're just on Spotify, we're looking at a beverage, and we're holding it up to the YouTube camera because we're recording these podcasts on video, um, so you can see the pictures. Maybe we'll put them in the show notes. I don't know how this stuff works, but Brando does. He's a wizard, ladies and gentlemen. Um, magic is stuff that people don't understand. In case people didn't know that. Um, and when you learn things that people don't understand, you are on your journey to being a wizard. That's and true. Brando has proven that he's a wizard on multiple levels. Um, so this is, yeah, straw golden in color, um, right? If you hold up a piece of straw next to it, it would be the same color. Mm-hmm. And then we're looking at clarity. We're looking at uh, carbonation, and we are looking at density. So bubbles are sticking to the cup. Uh-huh. But there are some bubbles, right? Yeah, so, for sure. So yeah, and that means it's not totally still. So it's mildly carbonated. Mm-hmm. And then... Cloudiness. We haven't talked about clarity. It's a little hazy, right? It's not super clear. Well, what is it? It Okay, so clarity has some technical specifications. Okay. And first one is, can you hold your finger up to it and see your finger through the other side? No, I the answer is no. So this is cloudy. 
Now it's not murky. It's not like there's a cloud of gray haze floating in this, mm -hmm. but it is a uh, it is technically cloudy because you can't see your finger. And then like if you can see your fingerprints, then we're getting to clear. And then if you shine a light into the beverage and the light looks brighter through the liquid, then it's brilliant. Oh wow! Oh, yeah. Okay. So you can like hold it up to a light, and you know the light does not look brighter in the liquid. So it's definitely not brilliant. It's gonna be cloudy. It's gonna be straw gold. It's gonna be. Uh, petalant or there's some kind of carbonation and then we're going to talk about viscosity so we're going to swirl the glass and what happens well we kind of get some these bubble stick yeah we kind of get these sheets that hang on for a bit they open up but there's no real legs to speak of so it's like a sheeting middle viscosity when you say legs what do you mean yeah, so if you take a high tannin, high acid, high sweetness mead and you run it around your glass, you're going to get these ropes of clear liquid that hold onto the glass and resolve after the mead has settled in gotcha. the bottom of the glass. So um, Shram and Bakalich know a lot about this, a lot more about this than I do, and Carvin too, Wilson. Um, my understanding is that it is related to complexity and intensity, but they like to correct me whenever I bring that up. So I'm still learning. <laughs> what can one glean from doing the site part of the 6S method when they're like doing it with me? So like what could one expect if like it's really bubbly? what can one expect if the viscosity is high yeah what are some yeah. generalized things that people if they're looking at meat and they're doing this first step what's what what are some general expectations tied to certain things that's a great question so that comes back to kind of that uh scope and scale question right because you can go so many different directions but you do start to witness certain characteristics and then start to draw expectations based off the characteristics that you witness. So in carbonation, which I think is a very straightforward, there's mm -hmm. basically three options, right? There's sparkling, where bubbles are just coming. I mean, there's overcarbonated, where like it foams out of the glass, mm -hmm. right? Um, or the bottle, like this happens in me frequently, especially home brew. Um, hopefully much less in professional commercial mead these days. Um, but rapid evacuation, where there's so much carbonation in the bottle that when you open it, the carbon dioxide molecules are like finally escape and as they rush out they grab other ones that are like super eager to come out of solution because there's so many of them in the bottle that they then grab onto each other and then you have a mead volcano and that sucks uh, <laughs> so that would be an overcarbonated mead um then there's number two which is like carbonated or, or sparkling and like there is a technical difference between carbonated and sparkling okay. where carbonated is forced carbonated and sparkling is the result of natural fermentation bubbles being oh, okay. maintained within the liquid. Okay. Um, and that can be done both in bulk and in the bottle. So we'll leave that for now. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> basically, that's going to affect mouthfeel, right? If there's a lot of bubbles in the liquid, you're going to feel that carbon dioxide on your tongue. And it's yeah. going to be perceived as acidity in mead because the buffer capacity of mead is typically so low that a little bit of carbon dioxide results in a citric or a, a tart, acidic flavor. Um, like the difference between drinking a flat soda and a sparkling soda, yeah. right? A flat soda tastes a lot sweeter 
whereas a sparkling soda is nice and bitey mm -hmm. uh, because that carbon dioxide is providing that acidic flavor profile. Mm -hmm. So the more bubbly, the more bubbles you see, there's a chance for higher acidity in your cup. Yes, and brighter kind of bubbly tasting experience. And then petulant, which is this middle range between sparkling carbonated and still mm -hmm. or flat. Right. Um, flat kind of denotes that you lost the bubbles. Still means that you intentionally didn't have bubbles in it in the first place. Uh, Petalant means there's some bubbles, so you're going to get some of that sparkly action, but it's not going to be popping on your tongue. Mm -hmm. And it's just a more mild version of sparkling. Yeah. And there's a few words to describe it. Petalant, not to be confused with petulant, uh, which is an ill-tempered child. Uh, but petulant is a little bubbly. Uh, and the Italians call it frizzante, and other people call it crackling. It's kind of a fun thing to play with words if people are into that. And then the next one is still, which means that it's flat. There's no bubbles. And um, that means that it's going to be what you get. Like, there's not going to be carbon dioxide bumping it around in your mouth and, and you know, creating whatever carbon dioxide dynamics are in a mead that would be petalant or sparkling. Okay, so I think my next question is, how is mead most commonly served? Served, is it usually carbonated or is it usually still or is it just everywhere? No, I love it. Like that is a question that does not have a true answer. Okay. I mean, actually I'm biased because I like sparkling and petalant meads. Okay. more than I like still meads. Typically, there are amazing still meads that I will drink every time someone puts them in front of me. But if given the choice between two traditional um, or varietal honey meads and one is sparkling and one is still, unless it's super sweet, I'm probably going to want it sparkling. Okay. And that's my own personal opinion uh, because I think it brings out the floral characteristics of the honey and it creates a balance point for the honey, you know, perceived perception of sweetness and mm -hmm. then also creates a counterpoint with the alcohol. So like the stool, the three-legged stool of mead flavor stands up because the carbon dioxide is there. Mm -hmm. But that being said, there are a lot of still traditionals out there. There are a lot of still dessert wines that are meads uh, or dessert style meads. And then this wine is just a cheap knockoff of mead made from grapes. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm trying to decolonize my brain That's from the fair. Roman viticulture colonization. What you have in front of you is what you need to deal with. So saying that it's typical is kind of difficult. And I would discourage people from doing it until there's a global mead industry where there are like global brands that are known. Gotcha. And then we can talk about typical meads. Okay. So it's just different wherever you go. Just be aware of there's yes. sparkling, there is petalant, there are still meads. And that's like a great question to just ask to calibrate your brain and to communicate with the person. Like, I'm going to go to Scotland and there's a dude that makes mead there in Perthshire, uh, like on the east coast of Scotland. And he makes still meads, you know, and he's like, oh, you make sparkling meads. And it's like, if I bring him some of my mead and I get to taste his meads, like our worlds are going to collide mm -hmm. because they're fundamentally the same we're both mead makers but fundamentally different like mm -hmm. we make sparkling petalant meads and he makes still meads and so when we drink each other's stuff like if i'm trying to compare it with my stuff a to a it's not going to be a, a worthwhile comparison but if i'm 
approaching it like his stuff is different what can i learn from this and yeah. you know what, what what can i really enjoy and um potentially integrate into our craft here and like he does a lot of wild crafted herbs and then uses local honey and so like i'm super excited to to learn about that and have that experience all right so that's site let's move on to sniff it's the next s right <sighs> yeah i love this s this S sniff. So your job. So glassware matters. Um, these are tulip shaped Belgian tulip uh, beer glasses, and they're made for complex beers that actually have a nice aroma. The typical shaker pint that like a beer is served in at a bar sucks for aroma. It's made to actually make the aroma fall out because it was made for the macro beers, macro lagers of the world that if you smell them closely, actually smell like flawed fermentation. It's okay. Deep breaths. Yeah. And that's why like Coors has a indication of coldness on the can so that you don't smell those things. Like we're drinking this at room temp because that's where most of the aromas are available. And I love you Coors. No, we don't. <laughs> like, okay. We love that you made a decent quality product available nationally and globally, but like you killed our ability to taste good things because we grew up tasting terrible things. I don't know if they're fully wrong, but there's okay. someone. <laughs> That's true. I'm sure that those people are like, this is good beer. Everyone deserves to have it. And as they scale, they change the grain bill from 100% grain to corn and rice and grain. And now it's like mostly corn and rice, right? And it's not even grain anymore. Fair enough. <sighs> but anyways, we're using tulip glasses to smell the meat because it enhances aroma. Um, is there any other glassware out there that enhances aroma? <laughs> There's a lot of glassware that oh, enhances okay. aroma. So champagne glasses do, um, wine glasses do, right? Like a big red wine glass, there's different shapes. But basically think about this liquid and then zoom in on the molecules. As the coolness of this liquid, relative coolness, like that's probably 55, 60 degrees, the bottle. Mm -hmm. And their air is 74 degrees. So there's a gradient there between the liquid and the room temp. And as the air warms up the liquid, it's grabbing molecules off of the surface of the liquid and turning them into aromas, into gas. And so this glass holds those like perfume. And just as with perfume, when you get closer to someone, it smells different than when you're further away from them. Same thing going on here. If you just sniff up here, you get one set of aromas. And then if you put your nose all the way in the glass, and you sniff it, and you get different aromas, right? Yeah. So how would you characterize the aromas at the top of the glass versus the aromas at the bottom of the glass? I feel like at the top of the glass for me, it's more floral, more light, more like lemony. Mm -hmm. And then when I go all the way in, I just get like straight tangerine, orange, like fruit. Cool. Is where I go with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and one of the cool things about tasting with people is like, Brando's experience is going to be different than mine. Just mm -hmm. like, you know, the listener's experience is going to be different from their friends. And it's not that you're wrong and I'm right, or I'm wrong and you're right. It's that we are different humans having different experiences. And when we share them with each other, our experience gets richer. Mm -hmm. Like if we were just alone all the time, we'd only have our own experiences. But when we hang out with other people, we see the world and smell the world and taste the world through their lens. Yeah. And we get to, like the the 
angles at which we can view reality increase. And so reality becomes this richer, potentially more beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. So what are you smelling yeah. at the top? Thanks, man. Uh, so mm, I get more like orange blossom, but also citrus peel in okay. the nose. It's like much more delicate. It's, yeah. It's like a little bit of orange candy, a little bit of, of like breadiness. There's some like, uh, what's that called? crust of the bread like crust of a sourdough almost okay but it's not tart it's like it's just rich it smells good yeah I and then that. and then i go in and i get like fermented honey notes i mean i've been around fermented honey long enough that like the smell of fermented honey makes me happy it's also kind of like putting your nose into a beehive i don't know if anyone's ever done that i i personally haven't yeah i'd be scared of my nose getting cool. stung. <laughs> That's wise. You generally have a veil on <laughs> okay. when you do this. <laughs> Fair. Um, yes, but I appreciate that you went there. And you're like, oh, that does not compute because that would mean my face was close to bees. <laughs> Let me add one detail to your mental model. <laughs> I just think of the Unconto dad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just my nose popping out. Yeah, yeah he has bad luck with that. Uh, so... I do get tangerine. Um, I do get citrus and some lemoniness, but I also get this just wonderful fermented honey note that I like a lot. Um, but it, it should be stated that, you know, my this is like number 10,000 of mead that I've tasted, whereas most people in the world have maybe tasted a few. Uh, and if they're really into mead, have tasted probably hundreds. But like after 10 years of making mead and drinking it, I don't know, 250 days out of the year yeah like that's only twenty five thousand. only so and my nose is much more fresh i'm in the hundreds probably yeah yeah and like we'll probably have some listeners who are in the like teens teens that's, maybe that's maybe less than teens yeah, maybe it's their first time right so um so everyone's gonna have different experiences we'd love to hear if you get a chance to try the miniola sunshine rain uh what you taste yeah. and smell all right. Anything else to add to sniff or you feel like that's a good covering of the sniff S? I mean, uh, it, it should be mentioned that the part of our brain that smells things and the part of our brain that remembers things are right next to each other. And they're somewhere deep down there. Ken Tram, again, knows where they actually are in our brain. Um, but it's like near the medulla oblongata, right? Like Perfect. lizard brain. Like, I'm sure you pronounce that perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I watched Waterboy. <laughs> Um, so the medulla oblongata is uh, like our reptile brain, right? And what reptiles lick the air. And they're like, oh, does that mean prey or does that mean death, right? And so that's deep in us. And when we bring in these molecules, which modern science is beginning to show us are like these super complex three-dimensional crystals that are wrapped up around each other and like they dissolve very quickly when they hit our tongue. So we don't know what we're looking at. But recently, they've been able to do this fractional geometry microchemistry where they flash freeze individual flavor molecules, and then they take pictures of them, and they're able to see that, like, oh, tannin is this molecule that has a unique shape. Mm -hmm. And when it's an oak tannin versus a cedar tannin, they're shaped differently. Mm -hmm. And, like, our body has these receptacles for those flavors. Anyways, I can go for a long time about this. But the, the summary is when you breathe in this, this gas, 
it goes into your nasal cavity and in your nasal cavity, your olfactory bulb, which is part of your brain, which is like a bundle of neurons, sits at this um, interface that has a little bit of, you know, flesh and mucous membranes. But then like the gas is basically transferred to the olfactory bulb and your brain is getting touched by what you're smelling. Yeah. And so, you know, signals are fired to your brain and they're like, oh, that's a smell. And it goes back to that smell things, remember things, part of the brain. And your brain does this like reference check where it's like, I've smelled that before. Oh, it's lemon. Okay, cool. Oh, I smelled that before. Oh, that's fermenting honey in yeah. my case. But in your case, it's like, it's more coffee related probably with like the acidity of like an orange or a lemon is where my mind went. Right. <laughs> so like, it's pretty cool. Like we're talking about your unique human history and my unique human history and like we're gonna have this shared experience and now we're gonna have like a shared mm -hmm. unique human history that's true so i think it's also important to mention that what you just described has an impact on the next four s's like all around like it's it's like it's it's more than half your taste essentially um your olfactory is your your sense of smell impacts what you're tasting with your tongue and, and your savor and your swallow and it, like all the way through it's impacting the whole experience and your hedonistic sense right so hedonistic um evaluation is ultimately this question do you like it or not yeah and like ultimately that's your decision to make mm -hmm. um and depending on what your references are you know if like you're in a citrus grove and someone started throwing rotten citrus at you you might like be totally averse to this mead yeah but hopefully citrus experiences have been pleasant for you and so when you drink this mead and like honey has been pleasant for you and you're like oh this is actually a joyful wonderful experience yeah and my mind my mind goes to coffee again which is i've been on farms where when they depulp the cherry, they just have like mountains of like depulp cherries, rotting cherries. Yeah, and and it smells like a ferment, rotty, very terrible pulpy smell. And before I experienced that, I enjoyed natural coffees, which is a process of coffee where they dry the the cherry on the coffee, mm. and it it produces a lot sweeter, fruitier cup, essentially, rather than a washed where they just wash it off right away. Yeah. And so, but ever since that experience with that nasty, fermenty pulp smell, whenever I smell a natural coffee, I always immediately go back to farms where they like have those large mounds of dirty, fermenty pulp. And I, my, my experience with most natural coffees now are more negative than positive. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and it's because of that experience with that terrible uh, wow. rotten pulp yeah. on the farms that I have that experience. Now. Wow, dude. So A, B, like before, mm -hmm. A, it was good. Yeah, I did. After mind. B, <laughs> not so nice. <laughs> That's where my mind goes. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, um, we can, so hopefully that helps empower the drinker to know that their experience is unique to them and ultimately it comes down to their designation of hedonistic preference yeah you know do you like it or not no one else can tell you whether you should or shouldn't and whether you're right or wrong and all you can really do is tune in that, to that why 
and verbalize it yeah. as like it's bringing me back to this experience and it's bringing me back to here and that's why even though if i think about it objectively it doesn't taste terrible this is why i don't like it that's so cool so then i think there's a ground so often one of the things that we love about mead is that people can meet in the middle mm -hmm. right so if like one person drinks beer and another person drinks wine and they've been having a hard time finding a drink that works for both of them like mead is this third option that has some crossover potential between both and when folks come together if they come with an open mind and like a willingness to engage each other and the thing in front of them there's a chance they're going to find something that makes them both feel good and mm -hmm. and enjoy their time together yeah so um we like to talk about meeting in the middle but that requires an open mind mm -hmm. and it requires a sense of like respect and appreciation of the other person yeah um so the chance for me to build bridges is literally like creating experiences together and in a way creating like a shared mental awareness of reality so meeting in the middle yeah yeah okay <laughs> All right, on to sip. Now, do you want to describe this step? Yeah, so this is where first impression is key. Um, with sip, you're just paying attention to that first note or set of notes that hit before you swish it around, before you swallow it, right? Like if you're doing professional tasting or really intense tasting, you'd spit right after that first sip to really capture Oh wow! that first experience. So you just like sip and then spit. Yeah. Okay. Well. And the French uh, have a word for this in wine called the attack. Um, and there's a cool study from UC Berkeley about based off the native language of the drinker, uh, whether they're English speakers, uh, Chinese speakers, or French speakers drinking the same wine, they have different descriptors for the same wines. Whereas America, Americans typically go towards like comparing to other fruits and flavor experiences, uh, Chinese, Native speakers talk about like geometric and, and mathematical terms, gotcha. like angularity and roundness and smoothness. Um, whereas French drinkers talk about emotions like forceful or delicate or soft, hmm. right? Interesting. Isn't that cool? So the French would call it an attack. Yeah. But it's just like the first what impression. What would the Chinese call that? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. If there's any native Chinese speakers, what is the Chinese word for the first impression of a drink? All right. So we got sip or attack, and we're just looking for that first burst of what our experience is. Yes. All right. All right. Ready? Let's do it. Okay. Cheers, everybody. Wow. All right. What did you get, Doc? It's like a burst of like juice, orange yeah, juice. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got like a burst of orange juice, like sweetness, citrus. Uh, yeah, tastes like honey and and tangerine. If I if I try to do like a French like emotional word for it, <laughs> it's like a wake, like surprising mm, almost. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it feels enlivening, like yeah. Uh, Mm, like oh life is cool yeah i'm, I'm at the beach it's, it's looking fun out there <laughs> <laughs> if i think of it like geometrically uh -huh. it's like uh spikes uh-huh but not like ouch spikes no no not ouch spikes. like i'm paying attention yeah, like yeah, i'm yeah. on my seat like yeah like yeah. heart rate spikes like, <laughs> like you're sinusoidal yeah. yeah yeah cool i'm into that i i would see it as 
wow if you just do a little bit of variation it totally changes yeah uh well that's that's it we're at the first part uh we've we've gotten a sense of of a lot there citrus sweetness like sinusoidal ups and downs um alertness aliveness so totally different than if we were drinking something else yeah and comparing it to like what we were smelling i feel like there were some similarities like we were smelling some citrus and oranges in there and we both got like a burst of orange juice and citrus in it in the sip right yeah so those align mm-hmm. all right is okay. there anything else you want to say about sip or it's just that first initial burst and it's just noticing what flavors yeah, come up yeah. front yeah, typically we'd be writing these notes down, right? So that we'd be developing a sense of a profile. And then when we share this with someone, we'd be able to say confidently, you're going to get this kind of nose and you're going to get this kind of first impression. And then the next S, which is swish. So we'll talk about swish. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, so swish is what comes after sip. And you're going to take in some mead, like literally a half an ounce, maybe an ounce at most. You're gonna take in like a half an ounce and you're gonna which which is like a medium sip, right? It's not a small little sip and it's not a big fifteen to thirty grams. <laughs> Milliliters, we're talking volume here. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> not bad, not bad. <laughs> but it's probably like fifteen to thirty milliliters. Um so you take in that fifteen to thirty milliliters and you swish it around, and that does a few things. It decarbonates it, right? It um gets the carbon dioxide out of solution it exposes the taste buds that you have in your mouth other than your tongue. So you don't just have taste buds on your tongue, you have it on your gums, on your lip, on the roof of your mouth. And when you switch the mead around, the mead gives you way more information because your mouth is picking up way more information than just your tongue does. So you're also gonna lean forward. That's the first thing is swish. You're also gonna lean forward and if you're ready for it, do the like French wine drinkers inhale. So it's like sipping through a straw, but you've got liquid in your mouth already. So you gently purse your lips and sip air into your mouth like you're sipping through a straw. So to demonstrate both visually and auditorily, here I go. <laughs> but it's easier if you lean forward. All right. And you can kind of use your tongue to like block the hole so the liquid doesn't get out. Gotcha. Okay. And what else happens in this case? Well, the liquid gets turned into a gas by the air that you suck into your mouth. And that liquid gas mead goes into your nasal cavity and you get way more flavor experience and aroma and uh, reference points to enjoy and appreciate and draw a conclusion about this mead from. Awesome. All right, All right. let's do it. Mm. Wow. Wow, that's that's rich. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. I get <clears throat> much more of the honey mm -hmm. and the sweetness, mm -hmm. and I get the smoothness, the body smoothness, mm -hmm. and I get a lot, a lot of floralness too in there, and a lot of citrus. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, there's so much going on there. So when I swish it around. The like complexity and richness and density just like dances back and forth and you get this huge citrus acidity. I get mm -hmm. this huge citrus acidity. I get this 
honey sweetness that's like constantly there. The yeastiness comes through, mm -hmm. but it's like it's pretty rich. It's almost I don't want to quite say red wine-ish, uh, but like Belgian ale, you know, that mm -hmm. yeasty expression that. is yeah. is definitely present. And I think it's a it's a it's an interesting thing. This is very young. We made this a couple weeks ago. Um typically citrus meads are not the most stable thing. So I would recommend that people drink it uh, within the next few weeks while we're selling it locally. Um, but if some people want to hold on to it and keep it in the fridge and see how those flavor molecules integrate, this could turn into a very complex uh, and, and balanced and long finish beverage. Mm -hmm. So anyways, that's like analysis. But Ultimately, the flavor is complex, rich, multi-layered. There's some alcohol heat. There's some acidity. There's some sweetness, a lot of sweetness from the honey. Uh, there's a fair amount of yeastiness, but I'm pretty sensitive to that because like over the last 10 years, that's been my job has been looking for that. Um, I'd be interested to hear what people think and where this stacks up on people's hedonistic scale. You know, do you do you like it? Do you want to finish the bottle and get another one? Do you want to buy a case for your friends? Do you want to say you guys are crazy? How can you drink something like this? Like we're open, man. This is art turned into craft for you to be happy. And we want to hear if it's making you happy. And if it's not, what well, we can do better. Constructive criticism is welcome. Also, just toxic criticism. I love that too. <laughs> toxic criticism <laughs> is breaking our culture and it needs to stop. Ultimately, to like go back to your yeastiness, I think the yeastiness isn't like overpowering. It's not something that like is a bully to the other flavors. Okay. I would say. Okay. It it is there, but it's not like overtaking the experience for me at least personally. Yeah, to some or to a lot of people, I would imagine it <clears throat> creates some richness, some like umami, some length and complexity. Yeah. Which yeah, I think I am negatively biased, negatively biased towards yeastiness because yeah. before we implemented filtration, like yeah, it yeah. was one of the main things we needed to improve. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah. that we're filtering, it's gone way down, but we still have room for refinement. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. All right. So that's swish. Mm hmm. Swallow. Swallow. God, it tastes so good. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a part of the savor. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, even at the swallow, like I was, I was just paying attention to swallow as it goes down, and like, I mean, you tell me what your experience was. Sorry, I totally biased you. This is what happens when you drink two ounces of meat. No, apparently, I mean, I'm biasing you, but <laughs> I think of the swallow as like smooth. Uh, it's like a velvety smoothness for me. Uh, once again, it reminds me of like OJ's smoothness almost where it's kind of like it's just clean and there's like a mild sweetness to it, mild tartness to it. But it's like it's so easy to drink. Yeah. And it's yeah. so easy to swallow and like just go for another sip. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm picking up what you're putting down there and uh, <clears throat> like acidity and alcohol are in balance with the relatively high amount of sweetness mm -hmm. for our our brand. Yeah. Right. But you know, this is only three percent, not even, it's two and a half percent residual sugar. Uh, yeah. Maybe with the, the fruit juice added, it's a little higher, but we didn't add that much fruit juice to this yeah. batch. It's like less than, uh... hey, Brandon, mm -hmm. what's the 
percentage of fruit juice added to this batch? Uh, it's definitely less than 10. Less than 10%. So uh, I guess eight ish. Five to 10. So if, if oranges are typically like 28 bricks, then add a 2.8 to our two. So we're probably at like 4.8. Um, you could even take a measurement on that and figure that out. We're under five, probably. Under five, yeah. Okay, so swallow where we were. So your brain turns off the is this going to kill me mechanism and pays attention to these new flavors. And like when Brandon uh, weighed in on the 5% residual sugar, it kind of helped place it because I was getting so much acidity, but also alcohol, but also sweetness that it was like, oh God, yes, I want more of that. <laughs> <laughs> so whereas Brando would call that smooth, I would call it like really alive and dynamic. But maybe that's like good music. You know, like good music is both alive and dynamic, but also like easy to listen to and easy to get into, right? Yeah, I think where my smooth comes from is it comes from like the literal liquid texture. Oh god, it's so good. But like when I swallow, there's like a bite and grippiness. But it's not hot. It's not unpleasant. It's like, gotcha. but like, oh, yes, you're, you're scratching me the right way. <laughs> so I, I, think, <laughs> I think I separate that bite and scratchiness uh -huh. as like, oh, the acidity. There's like this, the acidity is still playing when I'm swallowing. And the little like liquid texture is smooth rather than like I've had experiences where like it's rough to swallow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want like to the liquid this. texture is rough, but it could like a rough swallow to me could also have that playful acidity or that bite that you're talking about. So that's where I kind of separate it when we're talking about if we're getting to the nitty gritty of how we're describing it. Cool. It's the separation of like overall impression <laughs> versus uh, individual characteristics and their acceptability versus like is it in balance? Yeah. Yeah. And I think when I describe smooth, that's a part of the balance. And it is like that sweetness is a part yes. of it. And the acidity is also a part of it too. Where and I'm being rewarded when I choose to swallow this yeah, yeah, versus yeah. like, I gotta, I gotta choke this down. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta act like I like it. <laughs> yeah. But if there are specific technical flaws, yeah. like the presence of sulfur dioxide, yeah. which is the rotten egg smell, like if you like sulfur dioxide, I mean, there are beers that technically have sulfur dioxide in them. And if you don't have it, you're off style and you would lose points. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. But then there's like Mercaptans, which is like burnt rubber. And I think in every case that Mercaptans is present in a wine or, or a beer, even though I've never heard of it being in a beer, I've only heard of it being in a wine, that's bad. Yeah. So if there's like Mercaptans burnt rubber taste in your mead, that's bad. And it's probably going to make people feel bad too. And same with sulfur dioxide past a certain amount. Yeah. Um, because our gut is made of all these microbes. And if toxic chemicals get into our gut, it kills these microbes. And that can like interfere with our uh, neurochemistry. Yeah. So what you drink matters and what is in that drink matters. And if there are compounds that are bad for humans and the microbes in your gut, there's a good chance that it's going to make you feel bad over the long run. Um, Hence sulfites. Uh, I mean, people love to argue on that point. Yeah, we avoid them because we believe that a, a gut microbiome should be as biodiverse and uh, health giving as possible. And if you're adding 
antimicrobial chemicals to your drink and then drinking that regularly, I think that's going to re result in a less biodiverse gut microbiome, which means you're going to be less healthy. Yeah. But whatever, people can make their own choices. We're here to give you non-preservative added meats if you want them. All right. So on to the last one. Yeah, well, I don't know if you guys could tell, but I'm savoring this with a big old smile on my face. <laughs> yeah, it's a very good meat. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we can make it excellent by uh, investing in higher level uh, filtration equipment, but that's me being our worst critic, which is yeah. one of my jobs here, chief mead theorist. What theoretically could we do better yeah. for this? But I think, um, you know, it's like Baz Lorman being like, yeah, I wish Nicole Kidman gave a better performance at Moulin Rouge. It's like, no, she's amazing, man. Like, don't be a jerk. This is amazing. Like, our team did a phenomenal job on this. And um, if you don't enjoy it, please tell us why. If you do enjoy it, please tell us how and what happened after you enjoyed it within, like, PG to PG-13 detail. So when you go to savor it, how do you describe the savor part? <laughs> I'm just imagining that this is going to be like a very romantic beverage. Like the people are going to drink this together and they're going to be like, oh, dude, life is so fucking beautiful. You know what? We should bang. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it that way. PG, PG-13, dog. Kids aren't listening to this. Hey, my daughter like saw that we had a new podcast out. She just started playing it on Spotify and walking around with the iPad in the middle of the house. And I was like, Ooh, okay, cool. Glad you like that. It's working. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. So just that's the reality I live in. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> Took it away from her, turned it off very gently and quickly. Okay, And diverted attention to something else. <laughs> so you would savor it in that it just makes you very happy. And like... Uh, it's a really delightful, mirthful feeling. Uh, when we first made Orange Blossom Mead back in the beginning of the company, um, so it was a, a varietal traditional with orange blossom honey and okay. a red wine yeast. I had a lot in, in common with this. It was sweet. It was citrusy. It was floral aromatics. And then we used a Montrachet yeast, which is a difficult yeast to work with. It produces a lot of sulfur in a bad nutrition environment. Um, we ended up calling the first recipe mirth in a bottle mm -hmm. and like mirth is this feeling between joy and giddiness mm -hmm. and i'm feeling that mirthful feeling right now that's fair okay which like citrus is is suited to southern california which comes from <clears throat> spain and the mediterranean but that actually comes from china and hmm. so like if you look at the kind of band of the world where citrus naturally grows or is well suited um they're pretty nice places. Yeah. Okay. So we get to package that up and send it out to people and then Perfect. we get to drink it and it becomes part of their bodies. Perfect. So with Savor, you more look to like, what emotions do I experience after I have swallowed and... And physically, how does my body feel? Like after a workout, you know, if you hit it too hard, your body's kind of beat up. Mm -hmm. But if you hit it at the right level, you feel invigorated and like mm -hmm. your body's ready for more. So kind of the same thing, like, if I drink something that feels really good, my ability to be present and joyful is increased. You know, if I 
hit it too hard or something that doesn't really feel good, I'm kind of like, well, I'm going to drink some water and maybe eat something and like recover from this experience, which I think is a key awareness as we bring alcohol back into like a healthful drink. Typically we've like just drink for effect, like more is Mm -hmm. better. Mm -hmm. And like not even asking what is this that I'm drinking? But as we bring it back into health, it's like the right amount of a good thing it's probably going to make life more beautiful and more fun, mm-hmm. which is arguably going to increase your wellness. Yeah. And that's like our whole tagline, celebrate regeneratively, essentially. That's right, man. Celebrate in a way that you can celebrate better and more tomorrow and with more people. Just infinite parties. That's what we're going for. <laughs> and work. But when work's a party, then you're like, life is good. Because whether I'm working or partying, I'm happy. All right, so that's Saber. And you said some people add two more S's, which is smile and share, right? Yeah. So I don't know if you guys have told uh, your friends yet, but uh, it's pretty fun, right? Like we're laughing, we're smiling, we're talking about the beauty of life and what's possible if we all show up ready to have a good time and ready to respect each other and know that everyone's on their own unique experience on the spaceship called Earth, right? We're on a freaking giant spaceship flying through space and we're all on our own journey within it um so the next two s's are smile which some people have a hard time with like have you ever seen putin smile no i don't think i've ever seen putin smile um it's a better pr (laughs) i mean i've seen him with his shirt off on a horse but i've never seen the dude smiling Uh, (laughs) and share so that means take something beautiful and help someone else experience that beauty and uh you know there's some myths that our culture tells about more always being better they're never being enough and that's just the way it is but like those are rough those are rough that's lynn twist from uh the soul of money where she lays out that like those memes are deeply embedded in our culture and it's up to each of us to realize more is not necessarily always better and there isn't enough. Actually, there's more than enough right now. We're kind of having. You guys are enough for us. Amen. You're enough for us. We're just having a distribution problem. All right. <laughs> and then that's just the way it is. We're powerless to change it. No, each one of us has the power to be the change we want to see in the world. And in that, change our own experience and have a ripple effect that changes the whole world. So um, with that, we're going to leave you wanting more, hopefully, and talk about flaws on the next episode. What could go wrong? Because now that we've armed you with this incredible capacity to taste and navigate the mead world, we're gonna give you a little warning about what could go wrong out there, which we gave you a little preview of with the Mercaptains and the Sulfur, but we'll get into other things like fill in your mead flaw here. All right. Well, thank you for sitting down with me, Frank. My pleasure, Brando. Thank you for making this happen, man. Of course. And we'll wrap it there. And thanks to the listener who is also the co-creator, because when you drink mead, you make reality. Cheers. All right, that's a wrap on the 6S Tasting Method. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. We appreciate all the support we can get. If there's anything you'd like to know more about, feel free to email us at podcast at goldencoastmead.com with your questions, and we'll try to answer them to the best of our ability for you. Now, here's the weekly bee joke to put a smile on your face. Where do bees go on their holidays? Stingapore.
Meet out.